everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Reading Party Podcast with Megan and Lexi. This episode continues our season looking at modern retellings of the Iliad and the Odyssey, ancient epics known for both brutal violence and instances of sexual assault. This episode is not suitable for under-18s. We hope you have your favourite beverage and snack ready to go, because we've got our teas and are ready to start spilling the tea on our latest ancient story. What tea are you drinking? Same... Yeah, it's going to surprise no one to hear that I'm drinking English breakfast tea. As, like, every time we talk. How about you? Well, there was this, like, cinnamon peppermint thing that I really had to try. So, it's some sort of cinnamon peppermint thing. It sounds delicious. I've never heard of that combination. I hadn't either, but it's this, like, magical Swedish tea brand, and my friends just, like, had some. It, it's a loose-leaf tea, actually, so this is the first one that's not, um, you know, I usually just go for the bag because it's easy. But, um, yeah, my friend has this thing, so you can put the loose-leaf in it. And, uh, yeah, so I was like, I don't know what this is, but this is delicious. <laughs> so I have some of that, and then my snacks today. Some chips. Oh, I love chips. Mm-hmm. These are like the Swedish answer to uh, our like ruffles with uh, like like sour cream and, and cheddar and sour cream. This is uh, sour cream and onion, and it's delicious. Oh god, I love sour cream and onion chips. <laughs> They're so good. Actually, one of the things I miss most about living in the UK is some of the snack options. The US has great snacks. Don't get me wrong, but just I miss the ones that I grew up with. I've got a brownie today because my husband recently took up baking and he's been stress baking and it's amazing because I have so many cakes and like cookies and brownies and it's it's just wonderful. Highly recommend living with a baker. I lived with a stress baker in college and it was good because I don't stress bake. I actually hate baking because I don't have patience and so yeah. Yeah, I don't have the patience either. He's so much better at it than I am. But anyway, we should... Um, move on from our snack and tea options as fascinating as that is because we have um what this is episode three of troy fall of a city and we're covering episodes five and six uh, of the show that's going by so quick isn't it it really is that's no exaggeration i'm kind of disappointed actually that we're over halfway through now i'm enjoying this so much it's such good tv and i'm so glad you suggested we watch it Oh, good. I I am very glad I suggested it, too. No, I'm kidding. Like, I know they're cramming in so much because these episodes are so long, but I also feel like I'm like, no, they could have stretched it to maybe two more and given us ten. I mean, I absolutely would not have complained about that. Just, yeah, two more episodes. Why not? There's enough story there. But these two episodes are really, they're kind of quite climactic. I feel like the first four, there's a bit of a, like a slow lead up to what's happening, what's going on, really, really good at setting the, the pace. And now we've got some really big plot points coming in. And I feel like they did it very, very well. It didn't feel terribly rushed, but it also wasn't too slow, if you know what I mean. 
Yeah, yeah, no, because the the first uh, what was it four episodes really um, kind of set the tone for everything, and then you know there's going to be this big climactic, um, you know, battle because you know that at some point the Trojans will try to burn the Greek ships, and you do you know, come into these knowing, okay, well, at some point, Patroclus is going to die because, well, he usually dies uh, after the whole ship thing. And um, so what did you think about Achilles' reaction to Patroclus being killed? Because I know you, you said that you were looking forward to seeing kind of the, the reaction. So was it like uh, pretty much what you were kind of expecting or was it a little more understated or? It wasn't so much more understated i was expecting like a a kind of quiet fury and what you get in this episode is just grief and shock so it's quiet and it, it's it's the the level of i guess emoting that i was anticipating but it's grief and sadness over and above the anger that I think I anticipated and, and I think you see in some other adaptations. I suspect the fury will come maybe in a subsequent episode because uh, the, the death of Patroclus happens in what episode six. So we've still got two more episodes to go. Um, but it was, it was very, very well done because the, the way they play it out is you have Achilles standing in his tent, listening to the duel. And everything else is silent, right? The, the rest of the battle has stopped and you've just got everyone in a ring around Hector and Patroclus. And obviously they think Patroclus is, is Achilles. So you've got the whole of the encampment and all the Trojan soldiers watching this duel. They're just kind of stunned. Like there's no reaction other than just like, what is going on? And you've got Achilles in his tent listening intently to the duel. And then Patroclus cries out in pain and you just see Achilles run. And by the time he gets to the, the site of the battle, Patroclus is already dead. And he, he Achilles just, he yells no. And Hector asks him, do you, do you send another man out in your armor? And Achilles just stares at him and picks up the body of Patroclus and, and carries him off. And it was very, it was very poignant, actually very, very poignant. And then immediately after that, you have it, the, the camera cuts to Andromache alone, having just given birth to Hector's son, which for those of like those people watching who know the story just adds a whole other layer of grief and sadness to the, the episode and to that, that scene, because you know that Hector is, has sealed his fate by killing Patroclus. He's dead now as well. Um, and the child is, is also not, not going to survive terribly long after this. I think what was definitely unexpected for me was the confrontation between Achilles and Patroclus before Patroclus takes the armor and goes out onto the battlefield and kind of turns the tide and ultimately is killed by Hector. Like, essentially Achilles says, I, I don't love you anymore. It's like, it was completely out of the blue for me. So Patroclus tells him, like, you're essentially as bad as Agamemnon. Uh, you, you've taken this too far. Uh, you're being an arrogant bastard. At least Agamemnon knows he is. Um, and I, I'm done now. I want to go home and I can't go home. 
please come with me, fight with me, fight for me. We can get through this together. And Achilles is like, you need to stop before I forget that I once loved you. He doesn't say love because there's a whole a whole thing about how love is weakness. But yeah, it was um, it was unexpected. And then he gives that line about the, you have one chance because I did have love for you, kind of implying that it was taking it away. Um, I don't know about you, but like, I guess it was a little jarring to see. So you have, they have this conversation in the tent and then you don't really see him take Achilles armor, but like, like the way he comes out of the tent, he kind of is just like standing there for a minute. So it almost looks like it could be Achilles like, oh yeah, I got ready. But I'm like, if he stole his armor, you wouldn't like get ready in the big tent and then just like walk out and be like, oh, you know? So, um, I thought that was a little interesting that they, yeah, you're right. So it's kind of implied that maybe they make up and well, maybe not make up, but that Patroclus has the armor with Achilles blessing. Like maybe this is a scheme that, that they came up with together and, because Achilles obviously knows, right, that Patroclus is gone because he's standing there listening. And you can tell by the way he's listening that this is like, he's not just listening to a battle. He's listening to a battle that actually has some personal significance for him, I guess, which is a silly, a silly way to put it, right? Because it's right outside his tent. It's his army. It's his fight. Of course, it's significant, but the way he's standing there, the way he's holding himself, his whole attitude, he knows that it's Patroclus out there fighting. And whatever he said about, I once held affection for you, he's emotionally invested. Yeah. No, that tracks. I just found it interesting how they did it, because, um, like, thinking about the movie, which we also just watched, there's no conversation beforehand. There's nothing. There's just the ships are being attacked, and then it, the movie just you you hear like a scream and they're like Achilles and then you see like someone in Brad Pitt's armor like running so you know to me I was kind of like it's it's just interesting the different ways they were trying to trick us into it <laughs> but yeah no it was it was emotional I mean uh I think it fits for this character again where he has that quiet rage where it's just like the I'll stare but also you know this, this man is really vain he's prideful and he's arrogant and so when Hexter is like you sent another man in your armor like I was kind of expecting him to say something like like not just like I, I expected the stare but like for him to just be like mm, and then like walk away you know yeah I was kind of like there are they're gonna think you're a coward or or something and now all, we all know like Achilles is no coward but even to let the idea that he had to have someone do his dirty work, I feel like after building this character up and being so honorable, like, he would take that as a slight and be like, no, it's dishonorable to send someone in your armor. So, of course, you know, or maybe I was expecting him to be like, like, he stole it from me. If I'd known, I never would have let him come or just something. Um, so I thought it was interesting um, to, to let him believe. And then just like walk away. Um, so so I want to kind of go back to episode four, uh, five. Um, it was interesting. Um, so yeah, Paris is just kind of like wandering out in the wild. He's not doing anything really. And he's all, oh, poor me. I need to stay away from Troy because, you know, I, her destiny is tied to me. And, and as long as I'm there, she'll not be okay. So I'm just going to leave. 
Um, and I found that really funny because he, so he basically goes like the whole episode being like, they probably, I lost the duel, so they probably returned to Helen. And then you have this like split screen because it pans to like Helen and Troy and they're like, we're not giving her back. Like, no. <laughs> and so she's like, will he ever come back to me? And then it's so funny to just have like the next scene be like, she's gone back to the Greeks. No, I'm staying away. <laughs> it's like this very dramatic, like split screen and I'm all for it but i'm also like this is a little ridiculous yeah it was definitely not what i anticipated for the episode of just paris wandering around in the wilderness and going back to his original well his original family the family who raised him and trying super hard to be all like I can just be a shepherd boy again and where's that girl that I was kind of engaged to once and it was a lot it was really nice I enjoyed seeing those characters again and it, it did give a little bit of kind of closure you know what happened to his dad you know what happened to the woman that that you see him with at the very beginning and there's a, a random baby there and i wasn't too clear on whether like is the baby his well it, it's hard to it was it's hard to catch because she says like my husband is here but remember when he's like can i see the child or like steps forward and she was like no he will know it was you and they didn't explain that but i'm i took that as he'll know you were the one who fathered this child um but also i'm taking it from what I remember about Greek mythology, because this definitely is not in the Iliad, but um, her name is Oinoni, and um, like in some versions of myth, um, Paris had like married her, but before he was like rediscovered, and um, yeah, so uh, and he had fathered the child; it was clearly his. But then when he like took his destiny and went to Troy. He basically abandons her and is like, ciao, Bella. Like, I'm out of here. And, um, well, sucks to suck, sucks to suck that you're pregnant. Um, bye. So, um, and I, I remember that from myth, but also, um, Natalie Haynes actually has a chapter on her, a very short one in A Thousand Ships. And it covers the exact same kind of thing, which is like, she's kind of pissed that he would leave and she's like well where's his honor he has a kid but okay bye and then she gets like so pissed with him that um she was like well it, it's kind of like sour grapes but but like extreme because she was well in the myth she talks about like how you know if he came back even begging to get back with her she wouldn't take him back um so they kind of covered that a little in the episode but not really but but i i understand like why that's not a focal point so i just thought it was kind of a cool nugget for those familiar with Oinoni's story that like she has this child and yes she did have to get married to sort of save her reputation but like no it's clearly alexander's child and you're like oh damn you know so um so like she won't take him back so he can't just stay with her because i think if she'd been like yes this is your child yeah because it's like if if he would have been like you know oh that's my child i claim him will you take me back i'm happy to live with you and raise this child away from troy and if she would have said yes like i think that would have been the end um but because of her rejection of like no you left bye uh, and i have a husband that's why he goes back to the shepherd who unfortunately was killed that just felt kind of unnecessary yeah that was really tragic 
I know. I was like, what? I mean, I get that it, it's needed in terms of the plot because he can't stay there clearly because it wants to show him bringing death and destruction to everyone he loves. So it kind of drives him towards this leap off the, the cliff thing that we see towards the end. But it was just so sad. But I'm also kind of like, but how could the Greeks get that far? Because he's like really far from all the Greeks. So I'm kind of like, did the Greeks kill him? Like, I think they wanted to imply that it was them. But I'm also like, but like he wandered so far away that the Greeks wouldn't have been there. So I was kind of just a little confused by the whole thing. Um, but after like daddy dies or second daddy dies, um, he kind of just like wanders around and then goes up a cliff and then you just kind of see aphrodite like standing there like my poor my poor paris and then he's like why have you done this to me and then like launches himself off the cliff and so you're like well he's not gonna die because then there'd be literally no story but um also like lol he just throws himself off this really tall cliff like where is he going yeah i was not expecting to see a suicide attempt from paris it's it was interesting it it kind of shows a self-awareness that I don't think we see in other Paris figures, in other adaptations. He knows what he's done. He feels like he is responsible, but also can't change it because of this mm -hmm. curse. Mm -hmm. So for him, I guess the only, the only viable recourse is to try and save everyone by breaking the curse through his own death. Um, and then he is, it kind of wakes up and it, it Aphrodite says that because his heart stopped beating, he technically died, even though he's not still dead. He doesn't stay dead. He died enough that that broke the curse, which mentally frees Paris, I think, to go back to Helen and to go back to Troy and to his life without carrying that guilt of being responsible for the death of everyone and feeling like maybe Troy can actually come out of this and people will be okay. And then, of course, omitting that she basically just told a bold-faced lie, which I was like, um, I, I, I guess I'm like, I, I understand because it has to move the plot, it has to get him back to Troy, but I'm also kind of like, okay, well, that's really going out on a limb, though. Like, uh, for me, it was kind of a bridge too far because I was kind of like, you couldn't have found a different reason. Like he suddenly, like, I don't know, Aphrodite could have just whispered like, your wife is still in Troy and she's waiting for you. You know, you know, and like make it more about that romance they're trying to invest so much time and energy in. So to just, you know, have it be something, uh, you know, a little more random. I'm just like, eh, okay, okay, whatever. Um, <clears throat> because they've already established that like, he was like, I'll do anything other than never see Helen again. So he's, he was kind of like, screw the prophecy because if he really cared about the prophecy. So I was like, mm, no, you could have just been like, Helen's alive and waiting for you. She's not with the Greeks. Okay, I'm going to run back home. I did wonder if this was their attempt to try and trick the audience watching into thinking maybe this Troy adaptation would have a happy ending, right? Because I, I don't think there would be many people watching who don't know that this is a tragic story. Everyone knows the Brad Pitt version, right? We all know that Troy falls. But maybe they were trying to say, oh no, we're going to do something different with this adaptation. And actually there will be a happy ending. So I, that was that was kind of my, my only thought. Maybe they're trying to set us up 
for a happy ending that obviously won't come because the, it can't have a happy ending. It's it's the Iliad. That's just that would be a step too far, I think, even for a modern adaptation. I wonder if it was like, I mean, maybe for the people who genuinely like didn't know the story necessarily. You know, sometimes I think, okay, well, maybe you try to give them hope to spice up the drama because it is also for popular audiences who aren't familiar with the material. And so you do kind of want to give them a sense that, like, hey, if you actually like these characters because we've spent a lot of time making them sympathetic, like, we do, we don't want it to be doom and gloom right away. Um, and so I could see maybe why that was a choice. But also, like, I guess for me, and, and maybe it's just because I'm a classicist, but... When I think of the Iliad and adaptations of Troy, like, it should read like the Titanic. Like, you should go into that movie knowing that the ship is going to sink and nothing you can do is going to stop it. You know, I, I, like, I don't watch the Titanic that often anymore. I watched it a lot in high school. Um, and it's really funny because I have friends who have still never seen the movie. And when asking them, like, why not? Because it's a really good movie. They, they say that pretty much well i know exactly what's gonna happen it's gonna sink and they're kind of like well from popular culture they're like we already know that like one of the main characters spoiler alert dies and then they're like well i don't need to see that that's just depressing and i'm kind of like okay well you know i get that logic if you don't want to see it then fine um but yeah so for me i, I guess as a classist i'm kind of like no i I expect it to be like the Titanic where I know exactly who dies and who lives, but it's like the journey to it is still entertaining enough. And depending on adaptation, you can make it different enough, but like adding some sort of dimension of they might live. Troy might not be doomed. It just takes me out of it a bit, which is why I didn't like that. Yeah, I, I can see that. It was a little bit jarring um, to have it. M maybe Troy will be saved. This, this feels super weird. And because it's obviously never in question in the source material, and as as someone who's read the Iliad, you, like you're gonna know that Troy is just doomed because the gods say so. Like there's no curse. Paris didn't do anything he wasn't supposed to do the whole damn time, so that there's there's really no saving it. So having that possibility did felt a little strange. Because you're like, there's no curse in the source material, there's no curse in any other sort of adaptation. It it was always, you're literally pawns at the whim of gods. And to throw a wrench in that and be like, well, it's that, and it could be this. I'm just like, but that's unnecessary, and then it complicates things, and then it almost, like, takes some of the onus off the gods. To me, it, it strips some of the gods of their, like, usefulness. Yeah, right, because so much of the Iliad is about the capriciousness of the gods and humanity's powerlessness in the face of their whims, really. That having an, an like an extra reason for the war and for the fall of Troy, you're like, well, then why are the gods there? Why are they taking sides? And why was there the the choice of Paris, like the the apple at the beginning. Why did all that happen? If it's he's just cursed, he could just be cursed, and there be no competition and, and be no goddesses trying desperately to influence the the direction of the war. Because if he's cursed, he's cursed, and Troy's gonna fall. Um, I also wanted to know why is he cursed? Right, that that doesn't really seem to be 
explains terribly well. I feel like if there's a curse, then you didn't honor the gods correctly or you didn't sacrifice correctly or there's there's a reason that this is happening. It's not just they woke up one morning and magically were cursed. They they did something wrong. That's not really ever explained. So it didn't feel like a very well-rounded reason. Yeah, no, they, they do spend a lot of time just being like, oh, you, you two, you're cursed. And I'm like, okay, but they also had a shit ton of other children. So like, why wasn't another child or several of your children, uh, quote unquote, cursed then? I mean- you know, you, they, they kind of hint throughout the whole series and they have the whole black blood from the pigeons. And I know they're trying to attribute that to the curse. But I'm also kind of like, yeah, but... You know, it just, it's, it's, like, it's just weird to have... It could have been explained by the, by the gods, by divine intervention. Like, yes, Zeus was pissed, so he's going to make these pigeons rain black blood. But then to be like, it's the curse. And I'm like, yeah, but then you set up the whole thing from the beginning. So I... I have um, questions about why this is necessary, but um, also just like side note, when Aphrodite was trying to be like, forgive him, the fact that she was like trying to seduce him and I'm like, but isn't that your daddy? Yeah, that was super creepy. And I know they're Greek gods. I know this is a thing that happens and he's Zeus. Seduction and sleeping with inappropriate women is kind of his jam. But it was still very creepy. No, I, my, my, you know, the, the incest thing, yeah. I mean, okay, look, if it's like her and Aries, you're like, okay, whatever, fine, fine, fine. But, um, I guess my problem was the fact that, like, Zeus is kind of like daddy to everyone. Look, if you're kind of cousins, it's still gross, but you're like, okay, these gods are like cousins. It's really gross if it's siblings, but I'm just, I was like, but it's your daddy. And she's all like getting kissy, kissy and stroking him. And you're like, ah. Yeah, I just I sat there and I was like, I am so uncomfy right now. Can I fast forward this? Luckily, it only lasts like two seconds because then he's just like, no, <laughs> you know, and then he's like, go, go away. And she's like, oh, fine. I'm not getting what I want. So I'm going to leave. But it was just, yeah, it was, it was, it was very uncomfortable. Um, But, but um, yeah, I, so, so I guess, you know, with, with episode five, there really isn't much other than Paris is in the wilderness and it's very table setty. Yeah, bits of it did feel a lot like filler. It was it was an interesting episode. I feel like it did help move the plot forward, but the wandering was... I'm glad we didn't have much more of that. Oh, but what did you think of the opening scene mm -hmm. where Andromache and Hector bring Cassandra to see their parents? I, I really enjoyed that. It was kind of like the the kids rallying around each other and demanding an explanation for what their parents had done. Because, I mean, their parents knew the whole time what was going on and that um, that Paris would, him living, would essentially doom the whole of Troy. And they locked Cassandra away and made everyone think she was mad. Which is pretty poor parenting, really, if we're going, if we're going to get into that. Um, I, and I, I found that, like, it was a really interesting... Um, scene i enjoyed it and it was nice to see more of cassandra because i feel like she's a great character and the actress who plays her really really does a great job yeah no i really liked it too it was kind of like the justice for cassandra thing but but at the same time i still had a problem with the scene because they tie that whole non-belief to the curse not 
the gods. And so, like, while I liked this, finally she got justice and, and stuff. Like, but the point of her really, to me at least, was like, but you don't understand that what she saw was the truth and the future until after it's happened. So, like, you know, if she really was... I mean, the way they set it up with the curse is she was like, yeah, the curse says that, um, you know, his presence here will, will be Troy's doom. But they attributed that to the curse, not the gods, just like giving her this vision. So I was kind of, I'm, I'm a little disappointed because I'm kind of like, you would never have this moment if her power was tied more to the gods curse than this other curse. Um... So, I don't know, I, I, again, I like it for, I guess, just the message it sends, which is, like, don't just shut people away because you don't like what they're saying. But, like, at the same time, it does a disservice, I guess, to the original source material because it's not, like, they would only know that she was right after Troy was burned to the ground or was burning to the ground. So I'm kind of like, eh. I definitely like it for what they're doing in this series. And I think it, it's very fitting for this series. I definitely don't think it would be fitting in any other series. Um, <laughs> just, you know, it's random. But, um, yeah, so we do get that nice scene where we kind of rehabilitate her. They, interestingly, make the choice to move Helen to the widow's uh, quarters. They don't let her, like, keep her big chamber. Um, and, and it's interesting because they, they know he's not dead. I mean, you even have Hector being like, Alexander knows the wilderness he knows the woods he'll be okay and after the war he <laughs> and he's just like no no no. i know he he just you know he grew up there so he obviously will be okay and and i found it very funny and interesting that he was like optimistically like well when this war is over we will let you and him have a great future away from here yeah he's like not only will we win this war but when we do you and paris can just go and, and live and be happy just somewhere else you know, we'll, we'll protect the city. You guys can go. You'll be fine. It's all right. It's it's fine. And then while he's he's saying all of this, you've got Andromache sitting next to him, kind of giving Helen the side eye. And then she is the one explaining, oh, well, he'll be fine, sure. But we're just going to put, put you in the widow's quarters for a little bit. Just, you know, keep you out of the way, out of the public gaze. It, it's for your own safety. She's barely veiling her glee. Like she's you could like she's like trying not to be like wee, you know? And you're like, oh damn. And then we get that little bit of a confrontation between Andromache and Helen. Right when Helen is moving to the widow's quarters, she passes Andromache in the hallway and is like, now you get like what you wanted or something, and Andromache says, I'm doing this for you. And Helen says, Um, like, why do you hate me? I'm the reason that, that you're pregnant right because she gave her that potion and Andromache gets really really defensive and essentially says well fuck you like this isn't this I'm not pregnant because of you I don't thank you for this baby I thank the gods for this baby yeah I was like um but aren't you no no oh we're doing this okay but she finally also confronts uh uh Telamon who is the Greek spy um I, I was like but how would she find, like she's only seen him from the shadows when he's kind of like awkwardly looking up at her like what is she doing and then she like walks into his house and you're like but it's like a random hut in the lower town i did wonder how on earth she found him she doesn't really know what he looks like as far as we're aware she's not like wandering around the lower town on a regular basis he's hiding 
from everybody. How how on earth did she find him? Um, you know, did the gods lead her here? The unclear. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, <laughs> just blame everything on the gods. It was the gods. It was the gods. Um, we can't explain it. It was the gods. Um, but yeah, so she finds him, and it's really funny because he's just like, I can get you out. I can. I'm. I'm here to help you. I'm here to blah blah blah. And she's just like, No, no, no. Leave, leave, leave. I don't need help. I'm fine. And he's like, How funny. Um, I'm staying, and you may need me, whether you want to think of it or not. And then she's like, Okay, you know, whatever. And then, and then she ends up actually like needing his help, which I thought was hilarious. So. I'm just like, oh, honey. Oh, honey. <laughs> at the very least, it was naive of her to think that she wouldn't possibly need help at some point. Surely. She's a foreign woman that is being fought over in a war where the city she's living in is getting its ass handed to it. If, even if Pandarus wasn't sneaking around, at some point someone would say, why is this woman still here? She's going to need help. And I did actually feel really bad for Pandarus. He didn't need to die like that. Or, you know, at all. He's been doing his best, really, to aid the king and, and the city the whole way through this. Um, obviously, you're not supposed to root for him. And I'm not rooting for him because he's getting very close to um, finding out that Helen has been in contact with Achilles and that there's this Trojan skulking around. So obviously he's a threat to her, right? And they have to deal with him to be, uh, well, mildly threatening about it. But I did feel bad for him. He's, he's just, he's doing his job. I don't feel like he's a bad person. Yeah, he, so he's kind of just this guardian mentor person advisor to the king who just kind of, but, but honestly, he acts like a grunt. He just does the, the dirty work, you know, he's like, okay. It actually took me a while to work out that he's like nobility or somehow connected to the royal family. I know, I did too. I was like, oh, you're not just like some servant. Okay. <laughs> and then I thought Helen's response to Pandras being killed was really interesting. What, what, what did she expect to happen when she said that he needed to be taken care of? And then I love it because it's like, he's dead. And then she's just like, what? He's dead? No, he needs he needs to be alive. I told you to send him away. And he's just like, I, I love how he kind of half-heartedly attempts to be like, well, I, I, I did offer him, but but he he refused, you know? And she's like, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but I, I want to get to the more... Uh, action-packed uh, episode which was episode six um where it, it it's like the, the, it turns out that the trojans have spies also and they find out that achilles is not fighting and they don't know why but they're like okay we got to take advantage and so i love how they kind of just come out and then they announce to the greeks you need to be gone by morning and we're going to you know bring our horses and um Sucks to suck, but um, yeah, we're gonna ride and yeah, and and kill you all. Bye. Um, so you know they kind of do that, and they're like, oh no, what do we do? What do we do? Um, and and then and then when they do ride into the camp, it's this hilarious moment where the Myrmidons see them riding in, 
and they see the Myrmidons. So they're just like staring. And then you have this great line from like Hector where he's just like, for God's sakes, don't kill them because they will not attack us unless Achilles says so. And he's not fighting because he's pouting. So uh, no, he's not going to do anything. And so I'm like, if you saw someone walking into your camp to burn your food that you also have to eat, I was like, you know, I don't think I'd just stand there and be like, okay, cool, cool, cool. So you have this great epic battle on the beach, and then that's where Patroclus unfortunately dies. And let's talk about the duel, the big duel we've been waiting to talk about when Hector is like, all right, man, I, I done fucked up, and this is when I die. So my question about that sequence is, is less about the duel and more about what was Andromache doing giving birth by herself? In a barn. <laughs> shouldn't shouldn't she have been with other people? No, because she was... No, it's because it's she was, like, watching from the balcony, you know, with Helen when they're watching the ships burning in the nighttime. And she was just like, oh, yeah, it's loud out there, but it's quiet in here. And then Helen's just like, I have no taste for battle, and, like, walks away. And then she's like, okay. So I think it was just her, like, coming back down from the wall and then trying to go back up to the palace. And I, because you see her, like, walking in some random stables, and then you just see her, like, kind of collapse on the ground, holding her stomach, like, oh, no, oh, no, something, something's wrong. So something that always bugs me about um, pregnancy and birth scenes in movies and TV is how fast they go, right? First labors take, on average, well, I don't know how long they take on average, but they can run long. I have friends whose first labors were like two days plus. She has that baby super, super fast. There's no way she'd been able to have an entire ass baby, her first entire ass baby, without someone come looking for her, notice that she's not back in her rooms. I don't know. She's a pregnant royal lady. They don't just let them wander off wherever they feel like it. It's just, yeah. It's probably me being too, um, demanding too much realism from a fantasy story, but it's, it's just, it's unrealistic and it's annoying. I mean, although they didn't really, they weren't clear on timelines because they were out like in the middle of the night and then they kind of show that like she's fine when it's light out so i'm kind of like but we don't know how many hours they were out fighting so it's like if they left it like you know right and if she'd been in labor when they left in the morning and and then because like in labor you can often like get up and walk around and that's totally fine uh, and then it had progressed to where she just did actually give birth in the stables that would be more realistic and for me as someone who has been through birth and labor, it would be much more, um, more, more believable. You don't just have a couple of contractions and then push a baby out. Contractions go on for several hours before you get to the pushing the baby out stage. So for her to just be seemingly fine and not feeling anything at all, and then suddenly doubled over and even if it is a couple of hours later, it's only a couple of hours later and there's a baby. It's yeah, it, it was just it was irritating and, and inaccurate. I think it was to me, it, it, it plays as lazy writing because they have her suddenly, you know, just be ah, ah, ah. And then actually because of her reaction, I did think briefly that maybe she was miscarrying. I thought they were doing something different with the story. Right, no, because usually the reaction is like, you kind of go, oh no, and you, like you grab your stomach, and I, I don't know, I guess 
when contractions come uh, my uh, the 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 overwhelming feeling would be that you don't act like you're miscarrying if you're suddenly going into labor but that's just me um but yeah no it was quite interesting how they had it done but um yeah and then they have uh <clears throat> they have the the men come back and um you know she just kind of walks up to her husband he gets off his horse and um Hector sees the baby and he's just like oh okay I, I do like how they show that he got his name um Stianax because like we know that was the child's name but they don't really tell his backstory so in this series they have Hector talking to a, a young boy soldier who is dying and um he was um, admiring his courage and his bravery to lay down his life for Troy and he just sort of says you know okay son what's your name and he's like Steinax that's my name and then dies dramatically and then you're like oh no um so I thought that was kind of cool to give the naming of his son backstory um but of course this happens at the worst timing possible because it's like she just has the baby they name it uh and then the very next day apparently in this timeline and then he's like okay time to fight Achilles um it was really interesting for me watching this so soon after watching the movie Troy because the relationship between Andromache and Hector is is very different. I feel like this Hector and Andromache are much more um, like partners, a partnership of equals. I didn't get that from from Eric Banner, uh, and and I can't, I don't know who who played Andromache in in the movie. Um, very affectionate though. This Hector is equally as loving toward his wife, but it's interesting how the the, the moment before he goes out, it's quite different than how Eric Bana played it. Um, and I found it, uh, I don't know if one's better or worse, but I just found it very interesting how it's like in the movie you have Eric Bana, you know, being like, remember what I told you about the passageway? And then he kind of just dramatically, you know, kisses his son and then uh, like leaves. And in this one, you know, he, he gets a little more dialogue um, I, I guess also because it's a series, so you, you have more time to set up their relationship. And uh, with the movie, it was so rushed, so you don't really spend any time on Hector and Andromache. But for this one, you know, he's just like, I would, what did he say? Like, a, I would choose a, a short life as... I would choose a short life as your husband over a long one alone. Yeah, so he, like, says that, and he, like, kisses her, and then, like, leaves, and so it's a bit... Um, I don't know. To me, it was a bit more emotional because because I don't I don't know. I it bugs me in the movie how like the last thing you say to your wife is just like, "Remember the passageway I showed you." I'm like, that's not romantic. The kind of man he is, I'm like, it'd be a little more romantic than that. But okay. Um, but yeah. So then he goes out, and then um, what stood out to you the differences between the duels? Because in some respects, I really actually prefer the duel in the movie because I think well one I think it lasts longer um but it is more highly stylized and like they they like put a lot of time and effort into making it look epic and pretty and this one was not this one is like gritty yeah this one felt an awful lot more brutal just there's nothing like flashy it doesn't feel terribly choreographed it's just Achilles going in for the kill and you see really why he is this famed warrior. You see how absolutely nothing else can touch him. And he just is, he butchers Hector. My God, it's absolutely like, it's a war crime just in and of itself. Interestingly, I did feel there was less emotion from Achilles in this duel. 
as opposed to the the movie yeah i mean and and that's i think one thing that i appreciated about the movie version which is like yes he's so pissed but all the anger is definitely directed toward hector because he says that brad pitt says this great you know um it's not great but he says this line where he's like you know you won't have eyes tonight you won't have ears or tongue um you know you'll wander the underworld deaf blind and dumb and all the world will know you know this is hector the dude who thought he killed achilles so you're like okay well that's graphic but you know that's very um in line with you, you want to insult the, the person that you're so angry about and so that was very much focused on him but the other thing was it's interesting because it's like the movie version to me it serves to highlight a lot of achilles sort of like invincibility skills because you know he's he's very like it really highlights that for him um combat is an art form because you have all the fancy moves and the fact that he just kind of knows where to go what to do you can hardly put a scratch on him uh and this one it's not really that it's just like he does yeah he just he like he does get bloody i don't know i i really like the cinematography because you hear every you know clang of the sword and the shield and the this that and the other thing and I also just kind of noticed, because I noticed these things, that uh, the movie, you know, it, it has, it starts with them having the helmets and the shields and the full everything. And then, you know, they, they toss the helmets at least, but then they have their shields. This one, it's like, they don't, strangely, you, they, they have no helmets, which you would never really go into battle. Yeah, that was an interesting choice. I was wondering if for Achilles, it was, he doesn't think enough of Hector to go out there in full armor. Like, I don't need this. There's no way you're going to land a hit on me. Yeah. And you see, he you have this great shot of his face where he's kind of like, that was an unbelievable throw. And you, I think that's where you realize, like, oh, shit. Yeah, uh, I'm going to die. Um, so, yeah, no, it was, it was really interesting to see the short, brutal combat that was um, gritty and intense, but mesmerizing because the entire... I, I think I had to replay the duel twice because I was like, wait, whoa. Um... And yeah, I don't know. It was very interesting, just the the manner in which they chose for him to meet his doom. You know, in the movie, you have uh, the spear going into his shoulder, and then he kind of just is like, "Oh, okay." And then he goes to, and then and then Hector goes to his knees on his own, and then Achilles just kind of kills him with a very flourishy sort of stab. You know, um, this one is 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 very much you do have the the spear. Um, going in but but then he he gets his like hands uh his fingers cut off and then that's when he's like okay i've lost the thing that really got me i mean the whole thing like a brutal absolutely brutal but the thing that really got me was helen reaching back so all of the family are up on the parapets watching the jewel and and andromache's there with the styanex just crying and helen reaches behind her and like grabs andromache's hand to just try and provide some comfort and it just that that broke me even though they're they're not friends they don't like each other they've been at odds for almost the entire uh, the entire series just at that moment they're all in it together yeah just to show the solidarity it's um it was very touching and and yeah in both um adaptations they have pretty much the entire royal family looking from the walls 
Although this one actually had Hecuba there. Just saying. And also this one had a um more graphic because because there were at least two sac like like just sort of random killings um as well because uh Achilles brought with him like three people two I guess were soldiers and one was an Amazon sort of the second in command to Penthesilea and like yeah you know he's mad he's 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 screaming Hector um but I found it a bit I mean I know it was to anger them but also it was quite excessive for me at least i'm kind of like you you already know he's coming and they they anticipated he would come so there was no question that they were going to fight but to bring slaves and then yeah just because like they did nothing other than he put them to their knees and then like slits two of their throats and you see them like being slit and then you see all the blood and you're like yeah okay that doesn't feel great does it and this one was even more graphic in terms of um Care, uh, dragging off Hector's body as well. The other one, Brad Pitt, like ties his feet together and then drags the corpse. This one, they had like they like a fish hook, and he put the hook through his. I'm not normally squeamish, but this this whole sequence was very. Oh, it was very uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, luckily they don't show you when it goes in. You sort of see Hector's face in pain, like ow. Um, but they do have this one shot of just the feet with the hook being dragged and so that is a, a shot kind of at the end of the episode before you see the corpse being dragged behind the chariot um and it and it's um it was an interesting idea to cut to end the episode on that shot of the chariot going away with the body being dragged i um i guess i was kind of expecting to see maybe him return to his camp his tent or something you know before they before they stopped it but um i wasn't actually upset with with the way they ended it what about you no i feel like they stopped at the perfect point like you can't how do you follow that i don't know that was it was entirely appropriate to end the episode right when they did absolutely good call i do i, I am interested to see next episode what happens with agamemnon um, because he is getting more unstable, if that's possible. He wasn't terribly stable to begin with, but it's like a descent into insanity over there, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because everything he does is still, like, uh, sort of wrapped up in the I'm just still so depressed about my daughter thing. Um and you're kind of just seeing like a multiplication of the madness but i don't know yeah he's just he's he's definitely like getting more unredeemable by the moment um i don't know the the dynamics of everyone i feel like they're they're changing quite rapidly now and now that um hector is dead you know it's kind of like you know we're on the home stretch because you know that okay somehow they're going to do the big priam s sneaks away and is somehow has to beg with a like and and uh, i guess that's I'll, I'll say for me the thing i'm looking forward to seeing next is that interaction between priam and achilles because this priam and this achilles is very different from the movie one. I mean, you know, sort of the from the movie version, you have, um, you know, Peter O'Toole being very, I loved my son and I just want him and this, that, and the other thing. And, um, like, I don't know. Like, they did a good job for this one, too. 
Um, but I don't know. Uh, I'm no, I'm interested to see that scene as well. It's um, it's a really poignant scene in in so many of the adaptations um, that that we've gone through that we will go through, and because this Achilles is so, I feel like different to some of the others. Um, definitely different to Wrath Goddess and, and obviously different to Brad Pitt. I, I'm very interested to see how he plays it um, and how he kind of interacts with Priam and whether it's a, like, I have to beg to get my son back or if it's a, I will give you your son with honor and respect because you're a great king and he was a great warrior kind of thing. So that's going to be an interesting um an interesting scene definitely well and then you have uh Penthesilea who's like so pissed that her like second in command is gone um so uh, you know that she's gonna be out for revenge so I guess still still through the first you know how many episodes I'm still like I'm looking for that climactic duel between Penthesilea and Achilles but yeah no there's there's you know that's look forward to and um well, in the last two, we're prob we are going to get the uh, the Trojan horse, uh, and so so, you know, we can be excited about that. And I want to see what happens with Briseis as well, because she's such a cool character in this this adaptation. I really want to see, like, what do they do with her? Oh, there's so much to look forward to. Are you sad it's ending? I'm sad it's ending. Oh my gosh, so sad. It's been gut wrenching and emotional, and it's it's not it's not light. I wouldn't say it's fun, but it's very enjoyable TV. It's so good. Because I'm just like, no, like, I want I want more. Uh, so <laughs> they really should. They have to do the Odyssey. The Odyssey with this Odysseus, with this director, this style of cinematography. Oh, I would, I would watch the hell out of that. Yeah, no, it's tastefully done. And it's one of the only ones where I think that it's really tastefully done. So... I'm, yeah, I would, I would watch what these creators put out next, um, you know, and after that, I wouldn't mind if they did a, an Aeneid adaptation, because there aren't a lot of good ones, if any, I don't know, I've not looked for them, you, I have not looked for uh, Aeneid adaptations also, because I hate Aeneas, I think he's annoying and whiny, and like, justice for Dido, and, um, all that stuff, but, um, yeah, I don't, you know, but but if they if they made an adaptation, I would watch it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've seen any adaptations of the Aeneid. And again, if these people did one, I would watch it, and it would be glorious. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I I guess uh, I think we've talked about almost everything. I mean, I guess we didn't really cover a lot of the 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 plot around Helen, sort of what happens moving that forward. But um, I I feel like in the next few episodes we're gonna get more of a um. Uh, yeah yeah so it, from what i remember which is not a lot but um from my from my bad memory of watching this like three three years ago i think we do have a more climactic sort of um something with that so mm -hmm. yeah i think it's impossible to cover everything in an hour from two episodes but i think i think we got the main highlights and i'm really enjoying myself i'm very excited to see what they do with the last two episodes and with all the plot points that we know are going to happen. And I hope the audience is enjoying listening to our thoughts. I hope that you're managing to 
maybe not watch along, but at least watch some of them because I know we've said it. But this is such good, such a good show. You should watch it. You should enjoy it. And then come back and join us next time for the final two episodes. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review. And you can also follow us on social media at The Reading Party Podcast. If you'd like to leave us a book or movie suggestion, then email us at thereadingpartypod at gmail.com. See you next week. Mm-hmm.